XGB podcast with Hannah Cockcroft. Hello, I'm Hannah Cockcroft and this is the official Paralympics GB podcast. And with less than one year to go until Paris 2024, I'll be catching up with a whole host of athletes hoping to represent the Paralympics GB team next year. Our next guest has had a remarkable journey. She's made a huge impact in the world of boccia, where she's represented Paralympics GB at the Rio 2016 and Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games and became the first ever boccia world champion from Northern Ireland. Oh, and she is currently ranked number one in the world. And Claire's impact doesn't end there. In addition to her sporting achievements, she runs her own business, along with making it her mission to break down barriers as Disability Access Officer for LAN FC in Northern Ireland, working tirelessly to ensure that everyone can enjoy the beautiful game. I'm delighted to be joined by the amazing and very busy Claire Taggart. Thank you so much for joining me on the Paralympics GB podcast. How are you doing? I'm oh, good, thank you. It's uh, lovely to join you. I've seen these going out online and when I was asked, I was like, okay, I'll, I don't think I'm that exciting, but I can talk for a while. <laughs> That's all. That We just want someone who can talk, honestly, I'm sure. Whatever you're going to share with us today, people will find dead interesting. So it's always a new story, a new experience, and it's great to listen to. So I'm going to just head straight in with the one that's usually my first question because it's the place to start. Let's go all the way back to your early days. How did you first discover boccia? The easiest way for me to like split this up so people who are listening might not know that I was able-bodied or non-disabled until I was like 17, 18. I have a condition called dystonia, which is a neurological condition. Um, and basically it means that my muscles are very tight, they spasm, I've got contractures in arms, legs, spine everywhere. Um, and by the time that we finish this podcast, uh, my voice will be tired, so you'll hear it in that. But basically for me, it's idiopathic, so there was no known cause as to why it happened to me. So your question was how I got into boccia. So I started out, like as a child, I wasn't really that into sport or anything like that. I was much more of an introverted would rather sit in a corner and read a book child and then whenever I kind of developed my disability and prior to my diagnosis my parents were like you need to like try and find people who have a similar life experience as you now do learn how to be more independent and stuff like that so my parents were very keen on me getting into sport and more so meeting other people so I started out, I played wheelchair basketball for like a couple of weeks, but obviously because the nature of my condition is progressive, it meant that I could only do wheelchair basketball for a very short period of time. I then went into wheelchair rugby for a period of, I think it was about six months and I loved it. I loved the camaraderie and the crack, as we say in Northern Ireland, <laughs> um, and it was brilliant. Um, but then by the time that I was actually enjoying, well, not enjoying the sport and like really getting into the sport and the rules and stuff like that I got to the stage where I could only push myself in circles because of the the nature of my hand progression I was invited to a Northern Ireland squad and basically uh, I went along and I really enjoyed the the Northern Ireland squad set up of it but I had gone to a local club and I didn't really like it it was more of like a grassroots level thing uh, participation based and um, I found it quite dull and it was only when I was invited to the Northern Ireland squad that I thought, actually, this is this is quite interesting. So from there, it 
went kind of rapid. I went to my first UK Championships in 2014 and uh, went to my first Paralympics two years later, which is mental still. Wow, that's quite a journey that you actually went on. I normally kind of pre-prepare questions, but you've thrown them all out the window. I mean, how did you find that transition? Because I speak to, obviously, a lot of Paralympians and everyone goes, started with basketball, I started with basketball. But how did you find that? For me, people say getting your diagnosis is like, or getting a diagnosis is like scary. But for me and my parents, it was like such a relief. I'd started developing these symptoms about 16, 17. And I wasn't diagnosed until I was 19. So like nearly three years of not knowing what what's wrong or if there's something wrong or the not knowing is the worst bit. And for yeah. me and my parents, we we all said whenever I did get diagnosed, it was a relief because there's something cathartic in having a name for something and an explanation for it. So yeah, it was a difficult transition because like, you, you know, like being a teenager is hard anyway. Then adding complex disability, it's like, it's a minefield but yeah it was it was a difficult transition and it is interesting the way that everybody seems to start out with wheelchair basketball <laughs> because I think it's one of the most well-known ones definitely did you find that maybe sport then was a way to I don't know if accept is the right word but almost accept that this was your life and, and this was the change that was going to happen I fully credit Botcha for that because I think Whenever I got involved in Boccia and saw that there was potentially a career there that I could get involved in as an athlete and stuff like that, I found what I was kind of looking for in that I found a community of people who were kind of like-minded, really stubborn, disabled people who weren't going to say no to things that society has said that you can you can't do. Um, and like I found Boccia as my community is what I would say and I've said for years now. Botcher gives me much more than I could ever get from a standard job. It's given me so much more like independence and friendship and stuff like that. And and I'm getting to travel the world and compete in a sport that I love. So to, for me, it's just a bonus that I'm able to do it. I love that because I get asked all the time, kind of, why do I do wheelchair racing? I just push in circles for a living. It's the same thing every day. But for me, you know, finding wheelchair racing was, it was like a sense of freedom. And it, it was exactly, it was independence. And I think as disabled people, people don't realise how important independence is until you don't have it. And sport is an amazing way to find that. It's really interesting that you didn't love botcher straight away because I loved wheelchair racing instantly. And everyone I speak to goes, yep, got in the chair, got on the court or whatever it was and knew it was for me. I think that a lot of people, when they try something, they want to try it once and they go, that's not for me. So what made you go back and go, ah, you know what, I didn't like it, but I'll give it another go because I probably won't do that. <laughs> I think for me, like it was the searching for like the community aspect and searching for people who were in a similar situation for as me in terms of disability and also having a really stubborn parents, having really <laughs> stubborn parents who were like, you've been once, you didn't like it, let's look at a different options. So like, the Northern Ireland coach who was also incredibly stubborn and I'm really grateful to Oren for pushing me and saying, no, you are going to this and you, I've booked your flights, you're going to the UK Championships. Because I think that they really saw 
they obviously saw something in me that could make potential or could be potential in this sport and it was only when I got to the UK championships that I saw like the intricacies and the the actual game as being intense just nerve-wracking and stuff like that and it I always say that Boccia is more like chess and like board games and than any other sport I would say because the tactics in Boccia are like insane so that's what probably appeals to me more than actually the sport like I don't really like going to the gym I'm quite happy to admit that something that I'll do for my sport but it's not something that really motivates me I'm not one of these people who love going to the gym but I do love playing boccia. So for the listeners that may or may not know, can you give us a, a and I realise it's probably endless, the list of rules and whatever else. Can you give us a brief <laughs> rundown of the rules in boccia and, and the classification system? Because yeah. it's something that I don't even know. I've been rewriting what we terminology to boccia because often when you say to people, what's boccia? People often go, it's like bowls, but it's nothing like bowls. And also okay. that gives the connotation that it's like a granddad's sport. And <laughs> like boccia is not a granddad's sport. I'm sorry to all the granddads out there. But uh, I don't want it to be known as a granddad's sport. So I've been rewriting it in my head and on my phone. So uh, I'll just give you that. So boccia is one of the world's most precise and skillful sports, yet relatively unknown. There's no Olympic equivalent, so Boccia is unique to the Paralympic Games. And with that, there's a unique opportunity to showcase people with a severe physical disability in a way that they have not been seen before. The aim of Boccia is quite simple. Sides compete against each other to get closest to a white jack ball. Each side has six balls, either red or blue, which is decided by a coin toss in the call room. And it is a dynamic nail-biting sport where, where one wrong decision can cost you the game. Look at that. We're like an absolute pro. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not finished with my definition and stuff like that yet, but I think the more that we get away from the narrative that it's like bowls and that there's so much more to boccia, I, I almost want, like, whenever say, people say, what's boccia, that I can just show them a video of the intricacies and stuff like that. It's a difficult one, but... Can you tell I'm rather passionate about this? I can, and I love it. And I thought that you would be, because you seem to do quite a lot of like educational posts on your social media around Botcher, things like Talking Botcher, Monday Mace. I love all the names for it. Yeah, it is so important to educate people because I have had the absolute pleasure, I'm going to use the word pleasure, of playing against one of your teammates, David Smith. Oh, and I'm sure you love that. The, well, in the game, it was me and another teammate versus David. I'm not even joking. He absolutely smoked us. <laughs> and I thought I was doing really well. But Botcher is a really intense sport. Like, how do you maintain the focus and stay calm at the same time? Because I was just getting so frustrated every time David knocked me out from the little white ball. I was like can you leave me alone for five minutes? Just leave me there. <laughs> yeah, I think it's difficult because it depends on your classification how long a game would take. So like a game for me would be between 35 and 45 minutes. So there's lots of swing momentum and turns in that. Whereas for like a wheelchair racer or for like swimming, your race is done in like a couple of minutes max. 
the focus you have to keep focused on what's happening and for me I guess the the stuff that we do off court to prepare us for that so like psych stuff meetings with our coaches is really important for all of that and I always just like terminology as like it's a long game but you you've got to keep focused because one wrong decision can completely change anything that that happens you you've got to be on guard for flukes as well so like if your opponent plays a ball too hard and it hits in off the jack or something and it's closer and then you're thinking you would never be able to do that or you can get away with some flukes as well but it's a sport where anything is possible and I think that's what I really like about it I think what lots of other people really like about it I'm interested how do you train for boccia like do you train on your own do you train as part of a team I mean obviously my race depends on what other people are doing but not massively like if I'm the strongest there I'm the strongest there and and you just go fast whereas for you every single move depends on what someone else has done yeah quite a good analogy so right now I'm in my off season thank goodness it's been a long season (laughs) got three weeks of not training and looking forward to that but my weekly training I would do between four and five on-court sessions a week so I live in Northern Ireland and I would have my dad as my sports assistant slash carer when I travel and when I'm at home. So we go on court for between two and three hours, four or five times a week. And we'll do drills, training games and stuff like that, that my coach will have set. So my coach Glenn is based in, he lives in Coventry and sets out what I'm to do for a week. I'll get a training plan for between events and stuff like that. So he sets it out and then my dad and I complete it. I also do gym begrudgingly. No, I don't mind the gym. <laughs> I don't mind the gym. Uh, I go to the Sports Institute in Jordanstown. And so I go to there for gym and physio. Then the rest of the time is spent on admin and video analysis kind of stuff. So like we'll do a lot of recording when we're away or other games that are happening. If I know that x person is going to be at this event and i've not seen them before hopefully we'll have video recording or we can find a video recording of where they've played where their jack position is what style they throw in if they've got power to move things about or if they're mainly a layup based player so like a better placement getting close to the jack rather than hitting things away i'm also part of a team and i'm part of the bc12 team with david like you mentioned and and we do a lot of training for that, a lot of video calls to discuss tactics and competitions and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it, it is a full-time job. I don't know how I would do it if I actually had an actual adult job. So, <laughs> I'm the same. Like, people ask me all the time, oh, how long do you train for? And I'm not spending two to three hours on a track a day. No way, it's freezing out there. But it's all the other things. I think you're the first athlete who has actually said admin thank you for saying that because that takes up 90% of my day people really don't appreciate how much paperwork comes with being an athlete and it's not what you sign up for is it (laughs) well there's two aspects to that there's paperwork of being an athlete but there's paperwork of being a disabled person as well everything is just a faff um, (laughs) and so confusing it's like I booked concert tickets this morning and I already need to send in proof that I'm disabled and stuff like that. It's like, can we not yep. have this on a database somewhere? <laughs> yeah. If we take it 
back to the sport? Everything moves so quick. So at what point did you go, oh, actually, yeah, I'm quite good at this. I'm going to try and take it forward. I was selected from the UK Championships. I was selected for like a talent there at Botch UK. And I went over with like no expectations or anything like that. And it was only when the talent coach at the time, Glenn, who is now my coach, he was like, actually, you are quite good at this and you have potential. And it still like didn't sink in or anything like that. And from that talent day, they kind of asked me to be a part of their world-class program, which is as a complete newcomer being in an environment where there were 15 other people at that trial day and waltzing in as a complete newcomer and getting a slot on the world-class program I don't think went down very well with the rest <laughs> of the people who'd been playing this sport for years but it was what it was and like I still would say that I struggle with a lot with imposter syndrome and stuff like that and, but to go to games 18 months after actually picking up a ball for the first time is like insane you are definitely no imposter You've represented Paralympics GB at two Paralympic Games, so Rio in 2016 and then Tokyo in 2020. So let's let's talk about Rio right now. You made history whilst competing there after becoming the first person from Northern Ireland to compete at the Paralympics in the sport of boccia. And you were just 21 years old. Oh, I was a baby. I didn't know what boccia was until like three years before that. And I'd not been to London or anything like that so the transition of not knowing what a sport is to going and competing in it at a Paralympic Games never mind flying halfway around the world like I'd never flown long haul either it, it was weird but I'm glad I did it and I'm glad that my parents and the Northern Ireland coach Oren at the time was so persistent with me and like I don't think I would have got anywhere without people being stubborn with me you haven't stopped making history since Rio in December last year 2022 you became Novel Isles first ever Boccia world champion in the BC2 class when you tick off these achievements do you realize that you're making history whilst you're doing them or is that kind of a realization that comes much later it's a difficult one I would say because and the question that I've been asked previously in interviews and stuff like that is how does it feel to be a world champion and said ever since it's difficult to be a world champion in a sport that nobody knows of I'm very well supported by my friends and family and my local town I'd be surprised if anyone in my local town didn't know what watch is because everybody is really supportive of me and the local football club is really supportive of me um, and stuff like that but when you take it outside of that and trying to get not necessarily recognition because I'm not like that at all I'm very much um I would say modest and humble like I don't have big trophy cabinet I keep my medals and stuff like that in a shoebox there's no pictures (laughs) in my house of me winning medals and stuff like that my parents house is like a shrine but no mine definitely isn't and it's interesting because obviously Prior to Tokyo, we were a mixed sport, so I would have played against men as well as women. And after Tokyo, they they decided to split the genders, as in uh, males play males, females play females. I think it's done the sport a world of good. I, I really do. I think you're starting to see real characters and real personalities of people in the sport come out that were perhaps unable to previously because they weren't competitive against 
each other like in the male category and I think that that's really important but also it's really good to see women's sport really diversifying and stuff like that and and becoming really important to the world and I was not against it but I I didn't realize the impact of it until we were in Tokyo and we were still playing against men and men and women were still playing together at this point but when we got to the quarterfinals of the Paralympics in all four classifications, there wasn't one female represented in any of the cu- the quarterfinals. And I thought, right, this is the point where we really need to change. This is where it, it, it really matters. And I think that since then, I think that it's just been brilliant for everybody in the sport. Watch is going to be individual events in Paris, I yeah. believe. First off, how is that going to change your preparation, your strategy? Is it going to change it at all heading into the games? But then also, now that there's an individual event, and you kind of touched on it there, but do you think that's going to expand the sport, like allow more people to come into the sport, allow more opportunity for people to play? Is it going to hopefully make the sport more well-known and and bigger? Yeah, I mean, there's always been the individual event, but it's been mixed until Tokyo so separate as male and female I think is a good thing I think you're going to see people who are more representative of the disability community obviously reaching finals and things like that because there will be female Paralympic champions and obviously male Paralympic champions but it'll be really nice to see and to be to experience that aspect of the female classifications being in their own right and for me, it, it's exciting, but also I don't think people talk enough about the pressure of that. I mean, you're heading into Paris as don't say the it. world, don't the say world it. number one in Botja. Come on, you've got it. You've got to just soak it up. You worked hard for it. World number one. That's amazing. But I'm I'm gonna guess the answer is yes. Does that feel like it adds any extra pressure or weight going into this Paralympic Games? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I think what the people around me don't realise is that Paralympics comes around every four years. There's a World Championships pretty much every two to four years for us. There's a big major every year. But Paralympic Games is the one that everybody knows about. It's the one that gets all the media attention. It's the one that gets the interest. And the idea of not doing well there is absolutely terrifying I don't know how you cope with it obviously you've been doing this for a lot longer like (laughs) you've been successful for a lot longer than I have it's a stress um and it's something that weighs like kind of heavy on my head because in Boccia on the day anybody can win a match regardless of where your ranking position is if you're good enough on the day you can win and whether that be a quarterfinal, a semi-final, or a final, that aspect of uncontrollables is, I guess, a little scary, but it's also super exciting. We've not promoted too much, but come on, it's, it's a pretty big achievement. I mean, you ask how I deal with it, and the thing is, in wheelchair racing, it's, it is down to chance on the day, but ultimately you know what people's speeds are, you know that no one's going to get rapidly any quicker than they were the last race unless something has massively changed. And usually that's not going to happen. It's ultimately about just getting physically stronger. Whereas, you know, this whole podcast, you've spoken about ultimately botcher is 
person who makes the best moves and and sometimes it's a complete fluke and it just works so your game is so much more unpredictable than than mine is really when I'm out there everything lays on me and if I'm strong and if I'm fit whereas for you literally if you're balling playing the game that day that's you out of the game one wrong bounce turn or anything like that can really really mess up how you play and where you play on the court or if you have a ball that's not behaving for you like you're throwing it and it's bouncing to the left instead of the right it could be carnage that's the exciting element of watching that's the beauty of the sport and you've got to soak it up so how are you gonna deal with that pressure that's a good question (laughs) you haven't decided yet (laughs) i haven't decided yet currently i'm burying my head in the sand about it because i've got three weeks off a lot of the time, like I said, like I would have the idea of being an imposter and not very good at this sport. A lot of the time I'll wear headphones when we're at events just simply because it's not because I don't want to talk to people. It's because I'm trying not to think about the pressure and expectations. You, like of all people, will understand like the expectations of being world number one, the expectations externally that are unconsciously put on to you about winning medals and stuff like that it's not that people are coming up to you and saying oh I expect that you'll win a medal at this is the unconscious elements of that that really are stressful and even saying like world number one won this one world champion stuff like that it's like it's all unconscious in the back of your head that is a stress but my coach is very very on the ball and loves to big me up and stuff like that whereas I really don't like that and it's something that I've had to learn when you think of that external pressure because ultimately it is it's it's in your head no one's putting it on just think of it as belief people believe that you can do it and actually when you enter that court that arena as much as you're trying to block out the fact that oh, I, I don't know if I am the best in the world everyone else in that room is thinking she's a good player and I've got a player today and you just have to use that to your strength I use it all the time go in sank people out let them know how fast you go in I'm pushing well right now you know you should be worried about me and the quicker you get in other people's heads this is the best so yeah maybe try that get out of your own head get in other people's heads and just believe that you can do it because you can you've proved that you can Maybe. I'm not sure I'm uh, (laughs) able to get in other people's heads because I'm too busy being lost in my own. But yeah, I'll teach you. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. So going to get your head out of the sand. We're going to move away from sport because outside of Bocce, you're actually quite a busy woman. You run your own business called Nifty Notebooks NI. It just seems such a world away. Maybe not a world away because we've spoken about Asmin already, but It seems such a world away from sport. I mean, I love a notebook, but how did your business come about? So I started my little tiny business in 2018 and I didn't have the time to put any energy or invest anything into it. And it was like my parents, again, being stubborn and saying, you're doing all these drawings. Can you actually do something with them instead of just showing (laughs) us them? Um, So I started my tiny little business then. And then when COVID came around, obviously I isolated for over six to nine months I think it was in total and it gave me a real opportunity to focus on my business I wasn't going out I was training in the house there was nothing to stop me marketing my business and really getting into what I needed to do to be a successful small business so I 
kind of grew my business there. Now, obviously, it's quite difficult to run a small business whilst traveling all over the country and all over the world. So my shop at the minute is more closed than it is open. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, how do you manage to stay on top of sport, your travel, maintaining that status that we're not allowed to discuss? I struggle to stay on top of my emails and my vintage page. So you you juggle it a bit more than I am. (laughs) I think I thrive on being busy because then I can't think about the whole world number one thing. Um, the only thing that I do have like a curfew for myself is that I won't do any work kind of stuff past nine o'clock at night. But that's not the healthiest thing in the world. Quite late. <laughs> yeah. But I'm in this position now, less than a year away from Paris, where I'm thinking to myself, all these opportunities about botcha and like media opportunities to spread knowledge of botcha are kind of coming in. If I don't take them now, it'll be another three years after Paris before the media really comes back interested in botcha and also i haven't decided if i'm gonna do another cycle drop that in there <laughs> well it's a big commitment it's a scary thing i don't know it's it's a lot to commit four years of yourself you know it's, it's such a throwaway question that i think that athletes have to deal with quite a lot the thing is so much can change in four years can't it like yeah. your life can completely change as as yours did but it is treated as such a small question when actually it's it's a life decision it's not just about my life so obviously my boyfriend lives in scotland so we would like to live together at some point i live in northern ireland currently but the difficulty with that is like if i was traveling a lot we're actually not going to get a lot of time spent together. My parents are my main carers at the minute just because of circumstances with social care and not getting enough funding. Basically, if I do another cycle, like my parents are 65 now, they'll hate me for announcing that on this. (laughs) Um, If I do another cycle, it means that my dad's going to be my main support and carer. He's going to be 70 by the time the LA comes around. And He'll have done nothing from his retirement apart from run around the world looking after me. I really struggle with that. I know that they love and support me and they they really want to encourage me to do what I want to do. But at this time, unless I had them, I wouldn't be able to do botcha. So like if I if I said like my parents aren't going to look after me anymore and my dad's not going to be my assistant when we're away. I actually couldn't do botcha because of where I'm at with like social care funding and stuff like that. It would be impossible. Like I don't have the money to the funds to pay someone, which is insane that my job doesn't enable me to do that without my parents. Um, So like when people say, oh, are you going to do another cycle? I have to think about not only me, but my boyfriend, my family. And yeah, you're right. It is four years is a long time. And uh, it's another stress, shall we say. And we're not getting any younger. <laughs> no. Well, I'm 28 now. I'll be 29 in February. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit older. Are you going to do another cycle? There you go. I'll throw it straight back at you. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I'm still getting faster. I am still winning. I still love it. You know, I get to get up. Ultimately, when I'm on that track, I'm, I'm on my own. So yeah, I don't have to work around anyone else's schedule but my own. So it's a much easier decision and, and again, I praise you for, for highlighting it because it's something that I don't think people appreciate that you have to think about. You know, I was going to ask about your family because aside from your botcher posts on Instagram, the rest of it just seems to be incredible moments with your mum and dad. 
Actually, I saw you went to Leeds Fest with your dad. How was that? How did you find yeah, it? Yeah, it was amazing. I love music. Like I say, I wear headphones pretty much all the time. We went to see Billie Eilish and on the Friday night, and then we went to see the 1975 on the Sunday night. Um, Obviously, I'd like to be doing these things with like my friends or, and or uh, a carer, but like I'm genuinely not in the position that I could financially do it because of the way the world is and stuff like that and the way that the social care system is. But there's no one I'd rather spend Leeds Festival with than my dad's, although we'd like to kill each other at certain times, <laughs> especially when we're away and it's stressful. But we do actually get on really well, and he is like my best mate. So, and I think he had a really nice time, which uh, surprised him as well. I'm sure he did. I mean, how does it feel for you to have them there next to you? Obviously, my parents are nowhere near me when I'm racing. They must be just so, so incredibly proud. And I know, again, it's thrown around so much, but they are literally living this with you. Yeah, no, my dad is most definitely. And I think it's difficult, obviously, because I travel with my dad everywhere. And then we, like, mum stays at home to look after my beloved dog. It's difficult because I'm obviously separating my parents to travel all over the world. So that also weighs heavy on me, I guess, sometimes. But to experience and to travel the world with your dad or your parents in general is really important as a, like, something that really motivates me. We're both getting all these experiences that without sport we wouldn't have. And like with Paris coming around, one of the first things I said was like, I'm demanding that my mum is there. I'm doing all the admin and logistics of making sure that my mum is there as a supporter there for two weeks. So she's going to experience the, all the stuff that my dad and I experience all the time when we travel. And I just think it's only right that she's there as like a supporter and she gets to experience the Paralympics because obviously she wasn't able to go to Rio and Tokyo and so I think it's something that's really important to three of us as a family. The difficulty is that I also have six pet tortoises. What? Who who has that? That's mad. I have six pet tortoises so trying to find babysitters for six pet tortoises and two dogs is uh, challenging but I think we're getting there now. I feel like you're just not afraid of a challenge to be fair because you know you keep throwing in the extra things that you do that you have that you've got to do this podcast is going to last forever because you do so many things. We haven't even mentioned that you're the disability access officer of right. I'm going to say Larn FC, but yeah. So I, I live in Larn. Our football club is Larn FC. It's like a voluntary role that I came on board with because they wanted someone with experience of disability, and I wanted to come on board. And they were very much like, we don't want this to be a tick box exercise for our UEFA license. Uh, we actually want to make a change and make it more inclusive and accessible for everyone to access football so I came on board there and I think it was 2018 and yeah we're slowly but surely making changes but yeah it's something I really enjoy and something that I might like to do outside of Boccia whenever I decide to retire or whenever they boot me out one of the two. (laughs) Can you share with us some of the initiatives and the, the changes that you've been working on to try and achieve you know making it the most accessible football club in Northern Ireland? We're doing a lot of infrastructure work at the minute. We're making more ramps and accessible places. We're currently renovating the wheelchair area to make it have an ambulant disability area as well, which I think I believe is one of the first in Northern Ireland. And generally, like we're just trying to raise the awareness that 
like even if you have a disability we want you to like come and enjoy football in any way that you can so like Larne has become like the real community club the focus is on the community also although there's like full-time professional footballers the tagline and the main purpose of Larne is for the community we are Larne uh, I just kind of I've kind of been swept up in that and we just want to make it an environment and an atmosphere where even if you have a disability you're welcome we we just want to make it the best that it can be is there a hope that you can inspire other football sports clubs organizations to prioritize their accessibility and inclusion because I mean some of the things you spoke about there some of them are bigger like changing infrastructure but adding alt text to a tweet is is so simple yeah like within northern ireland the football disability access officer scene is quite small but i work really well really hard with jason who's the northern ireland football dao and we both as wheelchair users obviously have that lived experience of physical disability but we're always trying to find out, out what we need to do better for people with uh, sensory difficulties, people who are neurodivergent and then um, have a visual impairment, hearing impairment. So we want everybody to feel uh, welcome and represented at their local football club. Oh, a string to your bow, another thing that keeps you incredibly busy. What are your aspirations? What are your goals oh, for God. 2024? Both in Botcher, but you know, for everything else, for your business, for your advocacy work, everything else that you're so busy with. So my goals and aspirations for 2024 is that I go to the Paralympics. I compete to the best of my ability. Let whatever be happen because like the idea of saying, oh, I want to win a medal and stuff like that. I'll be really gutted if that doesn't happen and stuff like that. So the goals for me, and I've always said this in my, when we've had review meetings and stuff in Boccia is always about enjoying what I'm doing making sure I'm having fun and I'm in a good place to enjoy what what's going on in the sport. Outside of sport, goals. Yeah, I'd like my business to continue to grow. I'd like people to know more about Boccia. Like at the minute, we have no corporate sponsorship at all. No sponsorship interest or anything in Boccia. But we're consistently winning medals on a world stage. And that's really difficult compared to other sports which are more well-known. So I'd love... For myself to get like a corporate sponsor or something there you go there's my only plug of the day and the one thing that i would like to finish with that i would like to get is i would like to get a golden retriever after the games <laughs> most yeah. people say gold medal but you went for nope. golden retriever yeah i like it much more you know what much more manageable to achieve yeah. if i win a medal at the games i'll be delighted but i try and remember to myself that like it's a big thing, and in the end, I'd, I'd st- I've always wanted a golden retriever, so... You'll still get what you want in the end. Well, I think if you get another dog, then your mum will be refusing to look after him, so that might force your retirement. You won't, yeah. you won't have a choice. <laughs> we'll see. Well, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your precious time. I know you've probably got a million other things to be getting on with, with your many different roles in life, but I have really, really enjoyed speaking to you, and... I think you are definitely the busiest woman that I've ever spoken to. Definitely puts my life into perspective. So (laughs) I'm sure there are other people who are just as busy, if not busier than me. (laughs) But keep it up. It's amazing to hear everything that you're trying to do, all the change you're trying to make. I'm right behind you and I think that everyone listening to this podcast will be as well. And let's hope that somewhere out there listening is your new corporate sponsor. 
everyone wants a personality and that is definitely what you've got. Thank you for having me. And Claire's impact doesn't end there. In addition to her sporting achievements, she runs her own business, along with making it her mission to break down barriers as the Disability Access Officer for LARN FC in Northern Ireland, working tirelessly to ensure that everyone can enjoy the beautiful game. For more info on Paralympics GB, head to paralympics.org.uk and follow us on the socials at Paralympics GB. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe or follow wherever it is that you are listening to this show, as there'll be more shows, more guests, and even more stories from behind the scenes in Paralympic sports to come. Thanks for listening and see you next time. The Paralympics GB Podcast with Hannah Cockcroft.